0: What's going on, sir?
1: Uh, not much. Sitting in my bathrobe, ready to talk. Uh, mudbound.
0: Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's um, just the feel-good movie of the year, isn't it?
1: Well, I just assumed I'd give it the respect it deserves. In Netflix <laughs> original. Sit new to my robe. <laughs> have my own little premiere party. Hello and welcome to Projecting Film, the podcast where movies meet. I'm your host, Michael Denniston. The other voice you heard is my co-host, Chris Maynard. And on this episode, we're going to do something a little bit different. Normally, we project our interpretation of a film that you probably haven't seen, something in limited theatrical or just new to VOD, by selecting two films to give you an idea of why you should watch this new release. This time around, as I just alluded to in a somewhat smart assy way Mudbound a Sundance film Festival favorite this year is premiering on Netflix so you've already had the opportunity to see it because everyone has Netflix right however they don't do in my estimation the best job of promoting some really great films that they acquire at these film festivals So this is something that you can see, you should see and we're gonna tell you why but first the trailer for Mudbound
0: violence is part and parcel of country life I learned how to stitch up a bleeding wound load and fire a shotgun my hands
1: did these things but I was never easy in my mind way down in the water I held his heartbeat in my hand way down in the water all that time he was gone I only prayed for him over there I was a liberator people lined up in the streets waiting for us sometimes I actually miss it. he me too Coming back from
0: the fire You're
1: the one I always talk about Our own and our own parts are the only way to get up from under their foot I don't want you working for them
0: I won't be working for them
1: I'll be working for us <laughs> Went off to fight for my country to come back and find it and change a bit I don't know what they let you do over there But
0: you in Mississippi now You use the back door
1: are you
0: Jamie saw in a different way. And when his eyes were on me, I felt like I was no
1: longer invisible.
0: i seen you sniffing after him. Maybe Henry is too thick to notice, but I ain't. You better open your eyes, big brother. You're so busy worrying about yourself and your farm. You can't even see your own wife is miserable.
1: They work this land all day long. I used to walk away from the fight. I know more. This land. Never would be this.
0: You don't need to go, Jamie. Well, I can't stay here. They work until they sweated. You'll be okay. They sweated until
1: they bleed. Oh. They bleed until they died. Oh. They died clawing at the hard oh. brown That would never be this. When I think of the farm, I think of mud. I dreamed in brown way
0: down in the water. and uh i i'm assuming that we're going to completely bypass any racial uh overtones in the movie with our choices that we went with on this.
1: Oh, absolutely, sir. Absolutely okay, correct. I don't know if there's a <laughs> black person in the film I selected. It's strange. Uh, I I never know what's what's appropriate uh to to acknowledge that uh yeah race is a big part of this film uh, or me as a white guy to not speak on it because I have no experience, uh, obviously, being a black man. So uh, I I just actually just went uh, based on the the film it reminded me of. And uh, this is my mea culpa right here, (laughs) just just in advance. My selection doesn't have a lot to do with race. It does have something to do with class, though. And in almost every other respect, it's kind of on the nose. So...
0: Yeah, I think we were both uh, gearing for the same one because as soon as I started watching this movie and I saw the year that you chose, I thought, "Well, shit, I guess I have to figure out a different direction on this."
1: That's that's why I want to uh, to race you uh, on this one, <laughs> and uh, before I even finish Mudbound, I'm like, "Oh, let me claim my year." So uh, we'll we'll stop with the behind the scenes. Uh, Allusions to our, our, our research team, our Twitter DMs <laughs> <laughs> of four digits. So, yeah, my, my selection is from 1978. It is Terrence Malick's Days of Heaven. So there, I think there are a few things that are obvious here. Uh, one, it's uh, two different uh, classes of people uh, working on a farm. Uh, so in Days of Heaven, you have basically rich guy, poor guy. And it's definitely more of a love triangle, although there's a slight element of that in Mudbound. But uh, really, for me, it was the visuals and it was the narration. That's what struck me the most, how you sort of drop in and out of people's thoughts. Like, And it's something I really liked about Mudbound, is that it doesn't feel like any one person's film. So if you know nothing about it, you may be waiting for the main character. And I think you spend almost an equal amount of time with... Uh, with the entire un- ensemble. So that that's something I really liked about it. So yeah, days of heaven, my pick, uh, go ahead, Chris, try to, try to top that, try to top days of heaven.
0: Well, I decided to, uh, stick within the same year because I started going down that path. And I, much like you, the, one of the first things that caught me about the movie was the multiple narrators giving it that, um, feeling almost like a novel where you're really just jumping inside each person's head. And it does it, really seam seamlessly. I was actually a little bit worried about that aspect of this movie going into it, but I really enjoyed it. Um, the other element that really got me here that I was really engaged with was the coming home for more aspect of it. Because anytime you had the relationship between these two men bonding over their shared experience, you know, they, even when they're apart, they're you know playing parallels in the way that you know the tank's attacked and the way the planes attacked, so you can kind of see both the men's lives playing out in a similar direction, and it's building towards this one event in the end but um so being a sort of a film about post war uh, I went with the deer
1: hunter, okay, so even when we finally get away from the nineties, uh we just stay in the same <laughs> ballpark year
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so <laughs> Uh I have to say mine is uh a little bit more romantic and yours is a
0: little it depends on the day.
1: Yeah, I mean it depends on how you feel about games of chance if you <laughs> romanticize a little Russian roulette with your your bestie. Um they well uh, yours definitely touches on something in mudbound which is the uh you know at the time they would not call it PTSD. Um, and that's, there's actually, you know, obviously there's, there's racism, uh, in this film, but one of the, uh, I think one of the, yet again, the white guy saying this, one of the most troubling sequences (laughs) is, um, they sort of align, uh, obviously with, with the time period, they, they see, uh, this, this black soldier, even though he is a, a hero, um, as lesser than them but i really liked it did a uh a sequence where he he meets uh this this younger brother who's uh a part of this this racist family uh, in particular um mr breaking bad jonathan banks <laughs> not a very likable guy as Pappy. Um, yeah uh, uh,
0: mike kind of was uh doing an impersonation of my grandfather i think in this one
1: ooh you know i, w- I was actually thinking like i wonder you know if this film becomes uh, a part of the uh, the pop culture lexicon, if uh, this has made calling a grandfather Pappy, um, is that <laughs> out the window now? Is, is Pappy synonymous with uh, evil uh, here? I, I don't know. But uh, in, in that uh, sequence, as you said, with both soldiers having similar experiences, uh, there's a car that backfires. And yeah. so the, the younger brother, played by Garrett Hedlund, Jamie, uh, just drops to the ground. And uh, it it was really striking to me that in that instance, yet again, another war hero is looked (laughs) upon with curiosity and also as if he is weaker and less than like, there's no sympathy whatsoever in that, that time period. And so that's what starts this friendship uh, with this, with this other soldier. And he's the only one that has any sort of empathy for, for what he's going through. And I, you know, I didn't know really what this movie was about. I knew it was about two families that are, are sort of sharing uh, this farm, this, this land together. And I thought that would be the, the friendship angle would be a problem area. Cause I, I really didn't want to see anything that was a white savior plot line here.
0: No, no, not at all.
1: And you don't get that at all. I mean, if, if I would say watching the, the bond, it's the friction. inverse if anything right exactly yeah he is he is the 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 brother here is you know the drunkard uh, he is the one that is wanting desperately to just run away from everything that sort of has made him him up to this point and it is this this quiet strength that he finds in this other man that sort of allows him to possibly be a better version of himself. But unfortunately, Mudbound is not that happy of a film. <laughs> like <he>, yeah, <you> know, <laughs> you know, there there is the thought that crosses his mind that he can he can be a good man going forward, and that his coming through this war was worth it. Um, but I, you know, and I don't want to spoil it. I know this is probably available to everyone since everyone has Netflix on on their watch and their eyeballs uh, on every on their microwave, every device mm-hmm. possible. But
0: based um, on a fairly successful novel as well, correct?
1: I I mean, I wouldn't know. I don't read. So maybe. <laughs> was it a comic book? <laughs> I, 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 I don't know.
0: I, I think I read that somewhere at some point. I'm probably wrong. I clearly never read it because it's a question mark, not a statement.
1: <laughs> I believe so. I, I believe it is. And I think that's that's one area where it differs from Days of Heaven because the narration there was, <laughs> you know, in the editing room trying to make some semblance of a story. And here uh, the, the story is pretty clear as far as, you know, the the, the beats that we hit um they're definite plot points that get us to the next step in this this chain reaction and uh I don't know if I like that you know compared to days of heaven um I think that's that's one thing one issue I have with mudbound if I have any issue it's that it is fairly straightforward and clean as far as a narrative goes, like it kind of shows something a little. Uh, more esoteric and it's not that and that's not an issue with the film but i i think this one this is a very traditional film and it's strange that it is it is possibly going to be held up as something very anti-tradition with the you know the possibility of this being an awards contender for for netflix but uh this is kind of classic storytelling and very old-fashioned and I, i actually i actually liked it better in that regard that it wasn't as art house as what I anticipated, anticipated it to be.
0: Oh yeah. It's um th- this is the kind of thing that I assume the Academy voters would definitely go for. It seems like something they could get behind. Um, but it's yes, it's a very traditional film, but I don't see a lot of films like this that are executed this well anymore. You see films that get into this territory, but most of the time there's a disconnect that makes them feel a little bit too I don't know, soft around the edges or something. Um, they're a little bit too polished to really feel honest. And, and this does feel like a more honest portrayal of it without going that far into sort of the art house territory.
1: Do you think it's the ensemble aspect of it? As opposed you know, it's, the story doesn't it's not being carried on a one character's shoulders. It's not Carrie Mulligan's story, it's not Garrett Hudlin's story. And every time it gets close enough to becoming their story we we pull back and we we're you know that the filmmaker here d reese assures you that this is this is about really the whole here it's not it's not just going to be uh mr mustache man who uh who goes <laughs> out in a blaze of glory this is not a bruce willis part
0: no uh well it was maybe a bruce willis part in the 90s when he started experimenting with making really good films for a couple of years there but um not not the bruce willis of the last 20 years or so um yeah,
1: it's got a lot of kids man come on give him a break
0: I, I could imagine uh, Bruce Willis playing the Jonathan Banks role, you know, if he would have headed down a certain, <laughs> certain, certain uh, career path that was actually a little bit more grounded in actual film work as opposed to, you know, cop out or whatever he's doing now.
1: You know, I honestly could see him now. If, you know, I, I don't know if he's quite aged up enough <laughs> to, to be <laughs> Mike from Breaking Bad, but the Jason Clark role, I could see mm. him playing. That that part, and I think that would be interesting. I actually really like that Jason Clark took possibly the most thankless part in this film because he's yeah you know, he sort of personifies racism in a a very grounded um, not pure <laughs> not pure evil way, but uh, it's just as terrifying. Just in the sense that it's like yeah, this is just what it is. Let's just get on with it. Like a man who's you know he sees racism is something that's just an impediment to his life, even though he's a white man trying to make money. Like it's a nuisance for him as far as just like getting, getting shit done. And I I, I thought like, as I was watching it, I kept waiting for the, um, you know, like the Dan Aykroyd driving Miss Daisy role <laughs> where he's like, you know, he has a touching moment with the, the, the father of this, this young no. soldier. No, not so much. And I, I admire that about Jason Clark that, as I said, Kind of thankless as far as his arc, but it, it's more realistic this way.
0: Oh, yeah, it's uh, absolutely realistic in that sense. The scene where he actually uh, confronts um Ronzel about the confrontation he had with his father, uh, with Pappy in the store just I think kind of nails exactly where that character comes from explains everything about him and he doesn't change anywhere from that point of view that's consistent from that moment on through the end of the film and in fact I think that's kind of the part where you start to see him a little bit more clearly and some of the baggage that Jason Clark brings in is that I like him more than this character so I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt longer than I probably should
1: yeah, I felt the same way about uh Pappy here. I was like, Yeah, there's gotta be something there's something to him. Something Yeah, you know, he's gonna have a, a monologue, you know, by by the fire and he's gonna explain exactly why he's part of this uh the, this little club in, uh, in Mississippi. Like I don't know. There's nothing better to do. They've <laughs> this little club. <laughs> yeah. Uh this to remind you, uh, Chris and I are both white. So, <laughs> that may
0: from the south also. Yeah, so we're we're treading on some dangerous water here, man.
1: <laughs> well, I, I want to talk about. I, I like to talk about um, location and place in film quite a bit because I often feel like you know talking about how Mudbound is a bit of a traditional uh, film. I also feel like location was far more important in older films than it is now, where. It's it's usually whatever you know. If you ask why are they shooting in New Orleans, it's like oh, there's a tax credit. Like that's the only reason. (laughs) (laughs) Why is this set in Atlanta? It feels like they really wanted to film this in L.A. Oh, tax credit and uh, you know Toronto as New York. All of that. This this definitely obviously there's a reason it has to take place in uh, the South and Mississippi in particular. But when I was thinking of Days of Heaven, you know one thing I really like about the film is. Uh, it, it's a con man and it's a love story about trying to take advantage of this this rich man for the the greater good of this this particular couple uh even though they're they're doing him, him harm i mean they're the villains in pretty much every other story yeah. uh but that that farm that they're on you know it does not only just because it's the title of the film but it's like it's like they get to be good people for a very small moment of time, even they're doing bad things. Like just the way it's shot, it is, it's is like, if they could just stay in that moment. And when I was thinking about Mudbound, I, I usually don't like, you know, uh, uh, in war films, in particular, if it's a, a war film, that's not about being over there, it's about coming back. I often don't want to see any flashbacks to the war. I just rather just deal with the characters and just sort of hear it from them after the fact. But here I, I did like it because it, it's strange, and it's something that these these two soldiers talk about coming back. Is that you know they do miss being over there because quickly you can surmise that there's nothing for <laughs> either one of them in this place. Like, and after after you've seen the world, even if it is through combat, it's really depressing that they're they're coming back to this this status quo. It, it feels like the world should have changed. Uh, for them, and nothing it 's the same old, same old so it it's it's the inverse of days of heaven, and since it 's like they are stuck possibly with a lifetime of old fashioned sort of old hatred and the old blood here, and that that I mean, as you said not not a very happy movie you know this is not this is not holiday fair, but uh, I for one, will be throwing it on on Thanksgiving with my family and forcing everyone to watch it and feel bad <laughs> about themselves. <laughs> I like a little. I like a little white guilt and shame with my mashed potatoes, <laughs> turkey.
0: Um, yeah, I, I don't think I'll be throwing this one on. Um, I don't. I don't feel like. Uh having this on in front of the family and having these conversations with my family. Cause God only knows what uh, my dad would say about something like this. I don't want to know. Yeah. I don't want yeah, I, 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 I to hear him talking about his dad and that's just, it's fine. Let's just let that part of our legacy die. Let's just move on at this point.
1: What did you make of the, the, you know, cause I, one question I had was, do they have, is there anything new you can say about the South in that time period in race relations? And I was kind of concerned that, it would feel like something that I'd seen before, but it, it really didn't. If I mean there obviously there's, you know, sequences of you know, especially very harsh racism and violence that I've seen on film, but uh, I don't know if I've seen it handled in such a way where the characters are conflicted about feeling like they should be grateful to come home again, but mm-hmm. they're seeing it with fresh eyes and like it, it really is like a hellscape that they can't wait to escape from
0: as far as the way the film deals with the racism and having something to say about the South, I think that it, um, shows the different degrees that it existed, uh, that it still exists, um, where you do have the more, you know, kind of mustache twirling aspect of it with Pappy. And then you have a more grounded guy and his son that just, you know, it's like you said, a pain in the ass. And then, you have another white guy that's not the savior. Um, you know, Even something like 12 Years a Slave is guilty of that with the way that it deals with the characters in it. You either have somebody that's you know Brad Pitt or they're Satan. There's not a lot of in-between there. And here they do show the varying degrees of both sides of this. Um, and I appreciated that about the film, that it does show more of a range in these characters. And in that way, it's more depressing because it honestly feels more real in that sense. And so it's not easy to just go, okay, this is, you know, you know, something like 12 years of slave is a really rough sit and difficult to watch. And that's kind of the intention of it, but there's a disconnect because of the way the characters are drawn out to some degree here. The characters are laid out in a way that feel very real and natural, but there's something about the way that the story is executed, that it's so polished and so clean that it doesn't have that sort of impact that something like 12 Years a Slave
1: had. Well, I mean, one big difference, obviously, with a 12 a slave is you're dealing with someone who has clear power and authority over, right. over others. And here, I mean, it's something that you, you still see as far as people will grasp at anything if they're in a, a horrible economic state uh, or feel some sort of shame or doubt about their standing, they will find some target to say, I'm better than that. And in this case, it's, you know, it's this black family that, you know, Pappy has nothing, nothing to be really proud of as far as his living situation here. He's, he's basically in the shed (laughs) in a mud pit. I think he even says, you know, there's no floor. Like, don't make me sleep out there. And yet with his little, a uh, band of uh merry men in white cloaks and hoods like he gets to feel good about himself and it's this this class warfare between people who really are on the same you know economic path that is it's depressing that that's you know they they don't set their sights on other people or you know people who maybe um, they should be kind of more concerned with it's. It's just a way for them to to prop themselves up by keeping someone on the same the same scale slightly down, just because they can. And that's that's something you know. I mentioned driving Miss Daisy and Jess. I don't know if we see that so often. Um, you know, usually it's someone who's clearly it's like you know, rich and different and wealthy, uh, and that sort of casual racism uh, or right. to a slave with a, a slave owner. And and here, yeah, Jason Clark. I mean, he's kind of a, a bumbling fuck up. <laughs> like, <you> know, his, <laughs> you know, I mean, his farm, based on what we see, it remains mud uh, throughout the, throughout the film. It does not. It's not like he's he's pro- prospering. He is just barely getting by and um, not doing it well. And uh, but yeah, even, even he finds his you know his brother, a uh, war hero, to pick on for not being a man enough for for showing uh some doubt for showing some emotion he he can't stand the side of them he's like we just need to get rid of this so i can go back to (laughs) digging (laughs) holes in the mud and feeling like a man feeling like i'm accomplishing something there but they're they're just standing in place and that that's something i really like seeing because i I you know i've I've said it before with the the sort of trump era and i i guess i shouldn't be astounded that people will vote against their own self-interest but (laughs) Here we are. You know, they'll just stay in the mud pit as long as they have someone to to sling mud out
0: And all you have to do is leave the mud pit for just a little bit. You don't even have to go to war. Just get out of the mud pit for a second and you'll realize there's a whole world out there. And maybe you'll be a little bit more self-interested.
1: Yeah. Like maybe you'll find a beautiful farm – uh, like in uh, Days of Heaven where you can uh, attempt to, <laughs> to to oust Sam Shepard and his beautiful hair because, you know, by God, you've got great hair because you're Richard Gere. And uh, no, I'd like to think if I was Richard Gere, I would uh, use my hair for good and not not uh, attacking uh, someone else. But
0: I think that was the, was the one film where Sam Shepard's hair actually was better than Gere's. Gere had the longevity. But at that moment in Days of Heaven, the way that he captured that, Sam Shepard wins the hair battle in that particular film.
1: So, what would you take? Would you take the peak of Sam Shepard, or would you take uh, ooh take...
0: longevity of gear?
1: Yeah, I think I take longevity I, myself.
0: I'll go. No, I, I want the. I just want that peak. I want to get as high as I possibly can, and whatever happens after that crash, I'll, I'll take it.
1: No, I still take gear. <laughs> I'll take, uh, yeah, Mr. Arbitrage, <laughs> rocking, the, rocking the hair there. Uh, one of our least downloaded episodes on War Machine vs. War Horse. I don't know how we missed the boat on that. No one was excited about Arbitrage. And me. Oh, well. Um,
0: I thought you were going to say Days of Heaven when we talked about that, because I think we did talk about that at one point.
1: We did. I don't remember for what, but it doesn't matter now. It's on Mudbound. This is going to be our – this is our superstar episode here a netflix original so uh i did i did want to talk a little bit about uh, like that sort of um class warfare between the you know the same classes because that's going on a little bit in yours the deer hunter yeah it's definitely you know it's about the white middle class coming back and how i guess at least my take it's been a number of years since i've seen it because uh much like mudbound probably not something i'm going to throw on too much as far as to, to feel good about myself. Deer hunter is not the pick me up I'm looking for, but from what I remember, it's very much about how two people choose to carry on or not carry on with what they've experienced. And, but I mean, everything else being equal, they're pretty much the same, same background, same place and have dramatically different uh, reactions to what they've gone through.
0: Yeah. It's this, um, it's the scene specific that most people remember from it is the, um, Russia game. And then, you know, that they're forced to do, and then the way that they end up kind of seeking that out and playing the underground version of that. And then, you know, when they're actually out of the, the, you know, prison camp and then going further to when they actually get back home. And it shows sort of that whole progression of how they go from, you know, in battle to being home and just that they don't necessarily (laughs) unlike this. I don't, I don't think there's a real longing, um, to go back for the characters in, uh, the deer hunter, but they are changed by these events in a way that makes them unable to get along in their world the way they did when we first see them in their world. You know, you think about that opening scene or, I guess it's not opening. It's after the wedding when they're all, um, shooting pool and singing along to uh, sweet Caroline, that kind of thing, that moment before they all go to war, they're having their final hunt in the morning. And, you know, the, these men are very comfortable in their own skin and they're very comfortable in their place in the world. And then when they come back, they never have that again after going to war. And so I think that that's sort of the tie in that I saw between the two films was just how wars change these men and sort of the way that it causes them to view their home differently.
1: Have you ever felt that The Deer Hunter was a like scare tactic film as far as the way it handles its sort of entire <laughs> war message because, you know, Russian roulette. Yeah, you know, it's it's I, it's extreme as far as what they I, by adding that little Yeah, yeah, I would plot, s-
0: it, Well, I mean, yeah, it's I mean, it's not just a small little thing. It's it is does carry throughout the whole film and has a weight to it. And I would say that yeah, it could be a little bit of a scare tactic if not unlike the godfather it didn't have you know a 20 minute wedding sequence in it towards the beginning of the film or whatever that is you know just all that stuff that you kind of don't think about that's building out this world so i yeah it's it it doesn't feel cheap in that way so i i guess it's an extreme but at the time when the film was made there wasn't a lot of talk about the weight of war and what that was you know Bringing home with these guys, I think Vietnam was probably the first war where people started to discuss it, but we didn't really know how to talk about it. You know, I guess you know for these guys in World War II and uh, Mudbound, it was just shell shock, is what they would call it, and you know it was just you know you, you need to go to a head shrink so they can fix you. Is kind of how they would view it, and you know something you you know sweep under the rug and don't talk about. And I think that something like the Deer Hunter, while extreme and possibly not as realistic as films that we've seen since then. It does carry weight behind it because of the performances that are there, and there's quite a bit in that film to sort of hang your hat on, other than the you know more extreme sequences. I think.
1: Yeah, I think that Deniro guy is pretty good.
0: He's all right. Yeah, a
1: nice career ahead of him.
0: Yeah, I mean Christopher Walken, Meryl Streep. There, there were a couple people that were okay in that one.
1: Meryl Streep's actually the one I always remember from that film, like her scenes. Um, yeah. And that, that's a, that's a hard bit to play, like sort of the, the homestead really in those, those films. It's, it's rarely, um, achieved with that. That's degree of grace, but it's Meryl Streep. So yet again, I don't know, you know, I shouldn't be surprised at that point, but I'm trying to remember how early that was in her career. Was that her second biggest role? Was that after Kramer versus Kramer?
0: I think, yeah, that, cause this was, uh, this was a bigger part than, uh, Kramer versus, or, uh yeah, Kramer versus Kramer. So I, I assume that came after it. Yeah, seventy-eight, seventy-seven. That sounds right. And so, are you saying that sort of she has the difficult role? She has the thankless role. Is she the Jason Clark of *The Deer Hunter*?
1: Hmm. I, I mean, if you've not seen *Mudbound*, I don't want to <laughs> say expect <laughs> expect the streak from uh, from Clark here in *Mudbound*, but. Yeah, I would say so. Because um, I, I think that Carrie Mulligan here gets a little bit more to do than what we would normally expect from the, yeah, uh, uh, you know, the, the caretaker at home, the, the wife who's sort of pulled along by her husband's dreams. That's something we've seen numerous times, but um, it's not a showy role either um and I, I don't think streep was you know even when she has showy roles i i don't think she ever comes across as particularly hammy you know it's funny thing it's her worst role i think was the iron lady that she won a fucking oscar for <laughs> god i hated that that was like that was an snl sketch i thought it was like gonna pop up like Lauren michaels produced this damn thing and then it won a bunch of awards so um yeah i wish we could take that back couldn't we Mr. Uh, Weinstein uh, buying his way <laughs> to another <laughs> award there for a shitty movie. Uh, <laughs> Kate Winslet, The Reader, haven't forgot that either. Um, no, I, I don't know. I yeah, I think uh, you're, cool you're
0: it. the only. One, the rest of us have forgotten that. The Reader, who gives a shit about the Reader anymore?
1: I just remember being appalled. Um, you know that that's the reason. The, the Reader is the reason we got the Dark Knight rule, like the 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 expansion of the best. Picture category to <laughs> ten and then eight nine moving target whatever it is so maybe it was a good thing I don't know it depends on how you feel about that that more films get to be highlighted I kind of like it I you know I, I think that and we're we're off on the Oscars now but I guess that somewhat runs to Mudbound we can
0: anything we could do to get off talking about race.
1: Uh, yeah, I will, you know, if this was going to go for three more hours, if this was like a, an epic sort of uh, (laughs) podcast, like a lot of movie podcasts, unfortunately are, uh, I would still not be talking about race three hours from now. We would be talking about, (laughs) you know, the star Wars trilogy or something.
0: Boogie nights probably.
1: Yeah, of course. That's, I mean, that's our star Wars trilogy right there. Um, I, I, I mean, I just remember it, but just because it felt like that was a catalyst moment where people like, <laughs> like you, like the reader, like when they saw that, they're like, <laughs> okay, we got to fix this system. What the fuck is this? <laughs> um, so that bringing it back to to Mudbound, uh, do you feel like this this has the goods to to be nominated for best picture, to get a lot of nominations, to, to be a front runner? Uh, Or has it been overstated because of the the Netflix branding? Like, Do you feel like if this got a regular limited theatrical release, would the the hype still be there for this film to to be a uh, big contender for award season?
0: I think this would be a contender for award season. This is the type of film that seems to do well. Um, There hasn't been a drama like this this year that I can think of. There's nothing that jumps out at me that screams – this sort of period piece drama and the fact that it is being pushed by Netflix does give it an extra sort of unique side to it. And that legitimacy that it might be giving to this, you know, streaming platform. Does so
1: recap it, it though, because it's Netflix
0: very well could. Um, I, I, you know, I was thinking that when I was watching it, that I really wish I would have seen this in a the theater. So, but how many of those Academy voters are watching screeners anyway?
1: It is strange, you know that there there seems to be. I, I guess it's just the uh, it's a threat to their their business. Maybe I don't know that they're. An obese no nation was one that was spammed about yeah. as possibly getting nominations, and you know nothing. I, I don't know if it was as well well received as Mudbound has been up to this point. Um, I don't know. I'd have to go back and check the Rotten Tomatoes score if I can if I can get through the uh, the Justice League conspiracy. I'll see if I can pull it up. <laughs> um,
0: I, I remember that being pretty universally praised if i'm not mistaken
1: i think you know it's interesting that uh you know previous episode pottersville a netflix <laughs> original acquisition what have you that gets an actual theatrical run uh, a few weeks before it comes to netflix <laughs> this one not so much it's i don't know there's a certain amount of ego and pride i think with netflix as far as they they want the nominations but only on their own terms they want to say that basically a day and date streamer got themselves a best picture nomination and they don't want to play the Amazon game. And unfortunately, you know, I, I hope Mudbound isn't affected uh, because of that. I I only hope that it's affected if there are a lot more better movies coming out this season that just knock it off. But I hope it's not Netflix and their, their need to, to have this playing alongside stranger things. It's going to cost it uh, (laughs) a nomination.
0: I, I don't, I can't, I haven't seen anything yet this year that feels like this that fits this sort of mold of academy film. Have is there another period piece that I missed this year that sort of fits this?
1: I mean, you're you're probably asking the wrong person because I've only liked like uh, five things this year or so, and I don't think any of them would fit what I would call um, this type of movie. No, no, there's not. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think abundant acreage available. <laughs> 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 like this or the wedding plan or the black coat's daughter. So I'm going to say you're right on this one. Probably not.
0: And that that's usually how it goes. The sort of top five, top 10 movies that I loved are never nominated for much of anything. Um, in fact, they usually have rotten tomato scores, you know, barely above fresh and maybe about a six point something on IMDB. So they're not really critic darlings, the ones that I end up loving. So
1: We're we're like the, you know, we're the kids in the back of the class, like not really paying attention, and we're just, we like our own (laughs) shit. So I can just stay out of it during Oscar season. You know what? I don't really give a shit. Mudbound, good luck or not. Who really cares? Thank you for caring enough to stick with us to the end of this podcast. Hopefully you'll continue to do so by subscribing on iTunes. We're going to followingfilms.com where you can find some other great podcasts, some of which I host, like Mark as Played or War Machine vs. Warhorse. Horse. As far as continuing to follow this show, we are on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Projecting Film. So drop us a line and let us know about an independent piece of cinema that you'd like us to cover or, uh, or not cover maybe if you really like it you don't want to hear our thoughts on it I got to see the damn thing I enjoyed it it's good enough for me
0: yeah it actually it is a good movie so I, I think that people should Check this one out. Um, you but definitely man, check it out if, if
1: you want to see race uh, discussed with some degree of nuance, because you did not get it on this podcast, so, you probably should watch the movie. <laughs>